Welcome in to Locked On Blackhawks for Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Jay Zawoski, and I'm with you, like I said, every day, Monday through Friday, Talking Blackhawks. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find Locked On Blackhawks. So tell a friend, leave a review, make sure you subscribe. If you like the podcast, by the way, leave a positive review. If you don't like it, don't leave a review. That's no good. That does not help me. (laughs) But if you like the podcast, a five-star review goes a really long way. It is Talk Back Tuesday. Yes, the segment has a name. Thank you to Steven Seiler for emailing in his suggestion. I'm going to go with it. I like Talk Back Tuesday. From now on, the mailbag show will be on Tuesdays. we got a lot to get to. But before we get to the mailbag segment by the way if you want to contribute to the mailbag segment to talk back tuesday send me an email lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com send me a tweet at lo underscore blackhawks of course you can leave a voicemail at 708-653-0572 as well before we get into talk back tuesday over the last handful of games the last three games the thursday game against vancouver the saturday game against pittsburgh and the sunday game against the toronto maple leafs the blackhawks have looked much, much better. And I found out about this piece of audio after I recorded Friday's show. So I got this audio Friday afternoon, and I talked about it on the Madhouse podcast. If you did not check that out, go to at Madhouse pod on Twitter or subscribe. Same places. This podcast is available. You can find the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. So check that out, too. I think you'll like it. This quote from Dylan Strom. After Thursday's win over the Canucks, he joined the radio postgame show with Chris Bowden and Troy Murray on WGN, and while I do not have permission to use the audio, I will read you his comments. Again, this is after Thursday's win over the Canucks. Right as the game ended, he sat down and did a postgame interview. Here's a quote from Dylan Strom. We're trying to build some momentum here, doing a lot of new things and new systems. It takes a little bit of getting used to. Here's the important part. We kind of went back to our old system a little bit from last year tonight, so I think we felt a lot more comfortable. Okay, there's an acknowledgement that there was an absolute difference in philosophy, in attack, in strategy, and in system on Thursday's game. If you watch Saturday and Sunday, it looked a lot more like Thursday than it did those games against L.A., and San Jose, and even Anaheim, even though they got a win, it still felt like that dump and chase sort of concede every possession thing. Fast forward now. This is Sunday night after the game. This is Jeremy Cowden's post-game comments. Check this out. We uh, we kind of made a conscious effort to try and be a bit looser when the puck turned over so we could create more uh, out of D-zone in transition, and I think it's helped. There's been a lot more plays available for us, and... Uh, probably closer to how it looked at times last year as far as our ability to make plays out of D zone and even through the neutral zone and probably fits our top guys and you can see they're kind of coming to life so that's that's good to see you think who knew who knew that letting your offensive players play an offensive attacking style would work who knew that playing the dump and chase style that you'd played for the first month of the season wouldn't work I'm glad. I'm not mad about it. I'm very, very thrilled 
that Jeremy Kelton had this realization that, you know what? What we were doing against L.A. and San Jose and Nashville and all those games where we got pasted by the opponent, it's not really working. It's not a great system. So he tried something new. They went back to last year's system. Dylan Strom said it after Thursday's game. Jeremy Cowton acknowledged it after Sunday's game. They have reverted back to the system they played last season, and they're getting results. Maybe they have to win games 5-4 like they did Sunday night or 6-5. Or maybe they'll lose some games 6-5 or 5-4. But man, let your players play. And how many episodes of Lockdown Blackhawks did I talk about the you know the expressions on the players' faces of frustration, of let us do our thing. Trust us to create how many times have I played the Duncan Keith audio from the Spit and Chicklets podcast where he talked about, you know, I felt with Joel, he let us create, he let us be more, you know, inventive, whereas the way it is now, I feel like everything's sort of planned out. I wonder, and I don't know this, but I wonder if after that San Jose loss, players just said, look, this isn't working. We got to figure something out. Or maybe Jeremy Cowton did it on his own. Maybe he started feeling some external pressure for the first time. And had a realization that, you know what, I know we're trying to keep the puck out of the net. I know we're trying to play conservative, but it wasn't working. It wasn't the right fit for the roster. And he said it, and I'm going to play it again. He said now the star players are starting to play better and contribute more. Listen to this again. Probably fits our top guys, and you can see they're kind of coming to life, so that's, that's good to see. Yes. Yes, Jeremy, it is absolutely good to see your top guys coming to life. That's a very good thing. And... When I laid out my column for 670 The Score last week, sort of calling for Jeremy Cowton's head, I did it with the acknowledgement of, I think Stan Bowman improved this team. I think he made moves to make this team better, to make them a playoff team. Probably not a cup contender, but a playoff team. And he did that, as far as I can tell, based on what he saw last season from Jeremy Cowton. Okay, I see a team that can score a lot, but has trouble keeping the puck out of the back of their net. So I'm going to upgrade the D. I'm going to upgrade the goaltending. And hopefully that's enough. I said on yesterday's podcast, the luxury of having $11 million invested in Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford is that you can take some risks and you can play a little bit more. I don't want to say recklessly, but you can take some more chances than you would because you've got two all-star caliber goalies backing you up. You've also added some defensive depth with Ole Mata and Calvin DeHaan. Now you're not relying on Brandon Manning or Jan Ruda, or Slater Cuckoo every night. You've got better talent on the defensive core. You've got better talent in goal. It's a better team in general. It was built to be better. It was built to contend for a playoff spot. And I think, hopefully it's not too late. Hopefully they haven't gotten too far behind the eight ball. But if they can rattle off some wins here, and look, the schedule's tough. But they got a win over... A really good team in Toronto, a really good team in Vancouver. They took the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are another really good team, to the shootout. Vegas, they're in Vegas Wednesday night. They're in Nashville Saturday night. They're home against Buffalo Sunday night. Can they take four of those six? If they do, you got to feel pretty good about things, right? All of a sudden, there's some hope here. And I don't know why it took Jeremy Cowton so long to realize what they were doing wasn't working. But what they're doing now... Yes, they gave up 57 shots on goal to the Maple Leafs on Sunday night. That's not great, 
But the Hawks only gave up four high-danger scoring chances to Toronto the entire game at 5-on-5. Five five. That means, yeah, while Toronto's getting a lot of shots, they're not high-quality shots. That's a good thing. That's a good sign. Welcome back to Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Talk Back Tuesday. Time for your emails, time for your voicemails, time for your tweets. And a lot of the emails and voicemails I got came in before the recent three-game streak. So they're a little bit different, a little bit out of date. I pulled one that sort of summarizes everything, so we'll get to that. Before we get to that, though, I have to apologize. I made a really bad Michael Hutchinson joke on Monday's podcast and what made it worse was the fact that when I said he didn't find his own personal Jesus which is obviously a Depeche Mode song not an excess song so it was a bad joke that I also butchered I'm the worst I'm really sorry so please have mercy um really really bad um I don't know in excess that album was kick it was really good Suicide Blonde was on there it's a great song I totally butchered the reference, and I'm the worst. If you'd like to participate in Talk Back Tuesday, LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com, the voicemail number 708-653-0572, or, of course, the Twitter account at LO underscore Blackhawks. Many ways to get in touch with me and to get in touch with the podcast. All right, let's start the Talk Back Tuesday segment with a voicemail. This one is from Jack. I just wanted to make a point to you. I don't know if you noticed it. I mean, you talk a lot about what they're going to do with Carlton and, you know, whether he's going to be fired or whether, you know, who knows what the organization is going to do. But a point that I wanted to bring up is Carlton looks really, really pissed off. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. You can just tell that, like, he's got the most sour look on his face. And uh, I wonder what you think about that, like why that is. All right, Jack, thanks for the voicemail. Very much appreciate that. Uh, sour face on Carlton. I don't know if I've ever really made note of that. Um, but I did make note when he was hired, and I've talked about this before on either of my podcasts, that he had to come in from day one and sort of set a tone. You're replacing Joel Quenville. You cannot come in and be passive. You cannot come in and be a pushover. You can't be the substitute teacher, so to speak. So I think he had to come in day one and sort of assert himself and kind of lay it out on the table and say, look, I'm not here to mess around. I am here to coach this team. I know several of you are older than me. I don't care. This is serious, I'm serious, and I'm going to do a serious job at this. And maybe he's struggled to let his guard down a little bit. But, Jack, I had not noticed it up until you mentioned it. I'll keep an eye out for it. But I do see him in his postgame pressers and, and, you know, after the morning skates or after practices, whatever. He kind of laughs and jokes around with the media. I think he's just got kind of a dry sense of humor. So I I wouldn't read too much into it. But um, I do think, to start, he did handle it correctly, coming out right away and having that stern face, not being a pushover, not letting the player sort of push him around because he was new in the role. Let's take an email, this one from Jay Cryfield in Palatine. Hope I said that right, Jay. He says, with all the discussion around the Hawks' inability to grasp and play Cowton's system, I can't help but wonder if the system is actually more of an indictment on Stan than it is Cowton. As the coach in Rockford, before being promoted to run the Blackhawks bench, how much of Cowden's system is dictated by the affiliate NHL front office as a development tool? Is there any parallel to the way MLB teams install a certain amount of consistency from their low A ball teams all the way through the big league team? Or in hockey, is a GM's focus directed more towards roster construction while the system and style being played at different levels are left to the coaches? Good question. 
Uh, I don't think it's quite as because you have to, you have to coach for the roster you have, and you obviously can't coach Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane the same way you coach players who are playing in Rockford, right? They just don't have the talent. They don't have the ability to do such a thing. In baseball, you can preach long at bats, patience at the plate, hitting the opposite way, uh, a certain philosophy for you know how you pitch, et cetera, et cetera. You can sort of do that man-to-man a little more. And, of course, some baseball players are going to be more talented than others. I think in hockey, you probably would like to play a similar style if possible, but I don't think it's fair to say – you know, it's a organization wide system of play. I don't I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that happens uh, in hockey very much, but a good question. Thanks for the question, Jay. Next, let's go to the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Drew Matthews writes, when Connor Murphy comes back, does Boquist go back to Rockford? He would be wasted as a seventh defenseman, and that wouldn't be good for him in his development. His first two games were very good, but he's been just sort of okay since. I think he needs more time in the AHL. Drew, that's a really good question. And I, I'm not sure what's going to happen when Connor Murphy comes back. Obviously, Murphy's going to go right back in. What I would do, and I, what I hope they do, is wave Slater Cuckoo and hopefully send him back to Rockford. I would like Adam Boquist to stick around. I would like him to play and develop here. And he has had, you know, the first couple games were really good. Then he had a little bit of a drop-off. But I think he bounced back on Sunday night, played well. He was among the team leaders in possession numbers, uh, and you saw him activating some offense here and there. I like his defensive play more than I expected him to. I mentioned this before. Sometimes highly skilled players, their growth can be stunted by spending some time in the minor leagues. Tavo Teravainen, I don't know if his growth was stunted, but he spent a lot of time in Rockford, and people sort of worried about him because he wasn't putting up huge numbers in Rockford. But night after night, we'd see reports from those games where it'd say, Tavo Teravina with a great setup and a teammate can't finish it, right? Where sometimes they're, such a, they're so far ahead of their teammates that they can't even keep up. I'm not saying that's the case with Boquist, but from what I understand from people who have watched the Hawks and Rockford, Boquist has been better in Chicago. So uh, unless he really starts to flounder, and he, we've got some time between now and when Connor Murphy's back and ready to play, um, I'm letting Bocas play. I'm giving him pretty decent minutes and seeing what we think. I don't think we that decision doesn't need to be made today. But if it's me, I'm waving cuckoo and I'm keeping Boquist here. Thanks for the question, Drew. Really appreciate it. Let's go back to the voicemails. This one comes from Michael. Hi, Jay. I know we as a collective fandom have spent most of the past two months in a state somewhere between frustration, anger, and even a little bit of despair at times. Short times. There were legitimate reasons to believe that this team would at the very least be better than last year, but that's not what's happened so far. And the optimism has been unmet, and instead, there's more than a little angst building. The problem is that the Chicago teams this year have been doling out angst like, you know, Stan Bowman doles out no movement clauses. The Cubs missed the playoffs, and their window is looking shorter than it ever has. The Bulls are the Bulls, you know, and uh, the Bears have turned shooting themselves into the foot into an art form. My question is... Do you think any of this has artificially inflated the urgency or angst surrounding the Blackhawks' slow start? Michael, thanks for the voicemail. You heard the quality, by the way, of that voicemail. That's a voice memo. Open up that voice memos app on your phone, record your message, email it to LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. That's what Michael did. I think that's an interesting point. Is the malaise of Chicago sports affecting Blackhawks fans and making it seem worse than it is? 
Um, no, probably not in this case because it was really bad last week. Like terrible, terrible, really bad hockey. I don't care how if the Bears won the Super Bowl and the Cubs won the World Series, those games still would have sucked. But I do think there's some truth to the overall effect of Chicago sports affecting your mood and affecting the way you take things in. I'll tell you, man, after those L.A. and San Jose games, I was bummed out. It's like, you know, I just wasted three hours of my life watching the game. Then I spent another hour creating the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Friday afternoon, uh, I recorded a long uh, Madhouse podcast with James Naveau. It's a, I spent a lot of time on this. And when you have efforts like that, it can be disheartening. It can frustrate you. And I definitely think, and look, I've been working in sports media for 20 years, so I'm as jaded as they come. I think for the average fan, absolutely your favorite team or your local team, even, like all losing at the same time, that takes a toll. Sports is supposed to be an escape. And if you're torturing yourself for three hours, three nights a week, watching the Bears or the Hawks or the Bulls or whoever, it takes its toll. That's why for me, like whenever I, I watch a Bears game, especially because there's so much work involved with it for my job at the score, I've got to step away a little bit. I got to go for a walk, take a bike ride, whatever, and decompress. But Michael, thanks for the question. I really enjoyed that one. It made me reflect a little bit. Did you have a long day at work yesterday? Are you embarking on a tough day at school? Do you plan on working late again tonight like you do every night, it seems? Well, it's time to treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you doordash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city probably chicago if you're listening to lockdown blackhawks and there are endless choices of restaurants in chicago ordering is easy open the doordash app choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are not only is your favorite pizza joint already in doordash but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favor too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash right now. Our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Locked On. Don't forget, that's promo code Locked On for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. It is Locked On Blackhawks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Talk Back Tuesday continues with another voicemail, this one from Carter. Uh, in some of your episodes, you talked sort of vaguely about one or more Hawks Corps veterans wanting Coach Q out. Are you able to speak on this in a little more detail? I have never heard that before and can only assume that you are talking about uh, one or more of either Taze, Kane, Keith, and or Seabrook. Uh, if you can't or don't want to speak about that in more detail, would you be able to refer us to an article or some other source that has info on the topic? It's just hard for me to believe that any of that core group actually wanted Q gone. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm loving the podcast and listening on my way to work every morning. So thank you and go Hawks. Carter, thanks for the email. And I'm really glad you asked this question because it's something I'm not sure people outside of media 
have a full grasp on it. And I, I'm, I'm obviously not trying to sound condescending at all, but anytime a breaking news story happens, people want to know more and they want to know all the information. And as someone whose job it is, part of my job anyway, is to gather news, um, I have a number of sources I rely on. And as the season goes on, you'll hear me report stories I got from sources. Almost all the time, sources will protect certain bits of information to protect themselves. If a source was to tell me something with too many specifics, they could expose themselves and sort of accidentally reveal themselves. That could put their job at stake, right? Some things are sort of told off the record. Some things are told behind the scenes. I will acknowledge some things are put out there on purpose to A, identify the source, right? You've seen teams in the past give a false rumor to certain people just to see who the leak is. So when the story comes out, they know exactly who they told. So they know who to fire. Um, oftentimes too, they'll say, you know, player X is, is really playing well and he's got a lot of value. A lot of teams are sniffing around him to drive up the value. All of these things are true as it comes to the veteran players who wanted Joel Quenville gone. I don't know. I was not given that information specifically, but I was told several veteran players were ready to move on from Joel Quenville. Um, if I'm connecting dots and I've got to be careful here, but after Jeremy Calton took over, I was told the first player to sort of jump on board and buy into what Jeremy Cowan was selling was Patrick Kane. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's one of the guys that want to queue gone, but he was one of the first guys to say, I like what Jeremy Cowan's saying. I like, let's, let's listen to what he has to say and let's give him a chance. So as I'm analyzing these reports in my head, these are sort of the dots I connect, right? Again, I can't say that for certain. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know some veterans of influence wanted Joel Quenville to gone. Here's what I will tell you. I will never make up a story. I might go six months without being able to break a story. I might go a year without being able to break a story. But you can trust that when I get information that it's true, that it comes from a reliable source, and I'm not making it up. I promise you that. I value that. There's no point to me. And making up a story. And I know a lot of people sort of criticized me last week for air quotes clickbait with firing Jeremy Cowden. I've never been about that. I've never been about generating clicks. I think being honest and saying what you believe is what makes people click the podcast or click the column because they know I'm speaking from my heart. They know I'm speaking from a place of knowledge and understanding. And I'm not just trying to get clicks. I don't get paid per click by the score. If two people read it or 10 million people read it, literally nothing changes for me. So clickbait is not a factor for me. Now, podcasts come trade deadline season. Hell yeah. A lot of people are going to listen to that because they're hot for trade rumors, but I'm never going to give you a fake one. If I get one, I'll share it. If I don't have one, I won't. That's my promise to you. All right, let's go to the next email. This one comes from Logan. He says, I hail from Rosetown, Saskatchewan in Western Canada and enjoy your podcast. Thanks so much. He says, my question for you is a boot, Alex Nylander, nice touch. Is it me or does he just seem to be way more effective on the bottom six than the top six? While I don't have the stats to back this up, I'm pretty sure most of his points came from the bottom lines. Should he then just stay in the bottom six in limited minutes where he can practice good working habits rather than play on top lines in more minutes and be more inclined to make more mistakes and therefore lose his confidence and work ethic? Thanks again, Logan Riley. Logan, that's a good question. And your question made me sort of dig inside the numbers. 
And warning here, it's going to get numbery. <laughs> All right, so Alex Nylander has played 203 minutes of hockey with the Blackhawks this season. I ran the numbers with Jonathan Taves, uh, where he played 83-01 at 5-on-5 five five with Taves, uh, with Ryan Carpenter, who he's played 44-27 with at even strength, and with David Kampf, who he's played 34 minutes and 34 seconds with at even strength. Now, we got to keep in mind line matchup, zone starts, all these things come into play. But just a quick glance at the numbers. Nylander has the most success with Ryan Carpenter as it comes to Corsi numbers. He has a 51.25% uh, Corsi and goals for three for his lines when he's with Carpenter and one against. With Taves, he carries a 43% Corsi rating. That's 71 to 95 shot attempts against. Uh, two to three ratio for goals for goals against. And then with David Camp, 48% Corsi is 31-34 and shot attempts four. And the goals for and against is two and two. So then I went to his game log and I looked at points picked up while he was on the ice with Jonathan Taves. He has seven points on the season, two goals and five assists. His first goal was scored when he was on the ice with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, the game in Philadelphia to open the scoring of the season. His second goal, he was on the ice with Ryan Carpenter and Zach Smith. So that's a fourth-line goal against the Oilers. His first assists, actually his first two assists, came against the Washington Capitals, the first of which he was on the ice with Drake Kajula and Ryan Carpenter. The second, he was on with Patrick Kane and Ryan Carpenter. His third assist came in the first game against the LA Kings. He was on the ice with David Kampf and Dominic Kubalik. His fourth assist came in the second game against the Kings. Jonathan Taves, Dominic Kubalik on the ice with him there. And then his final assist came against the Anaheim Ducks. He was on the ice with Kirby Dock and Jonathan Taves. By the way, that fourth assist, the second game against LA, that was a power play assist. So there doesn't seem to be a giant discrepancy in if he's producing more with the top lines or the bottom lines, it's all kind of shaken out evenly. So um, I don't know if there's much benefit to, uh, you know, breaking up him and Taves. He's got one, two, three points with Taves. He's got two with Carpenter. Uh, he's shown the offensive ability. I think, I think the lines are working out the way they are now. I really do. I'm kind of happy with the way the lines have been drawn up lately. And I, I'm, I'm not really... I don't want to mess with anything. I think they finally found some decent chemistry and let's just give it some time and see how it works. And if Alex Nylander continues to struggle, did not have a great game against Toronto. That's for sure. But his games have been way more good than bad. And with any young player, there's going to be ups and downs. So there's no downs that I've seen from Alex Nylander lately that make me want to panic. All right. Final mail of the show comes from Jake Hasek. I hope I said that right, Jake. He said, if the Hawks continue to play like crap, do you believe it will affect Ian Mitchell's decision to sign with the Hawks? Obviously, the Hawks are in dire need of young top four defensemen, especially ones that are right-handed. We cannot afford to lose him and have him become Kevin Hayes 2.0. Also, do you think Dennis Gilbert will factor into the Hawks' long-term plans? Two good questions there. I don't get the vibe that he's going to be Kevin Hayes 2.0. I really don't. I think with Kevin Hayes, there was always sort of a fear that he was going to walk away and that he was not going to be part of things. And that, that threat was always kind of there from Kevin Hayes. With Mitchell, everything he said has indicated he fully intends 
on signing with the Blackhawks when his college season's over. He knew, looking at this year, that he probably wasn't going to be on the top six and that his best chance to be with the Hawks will come next year. He can join the team. If I'm not mistaken, I'm almost positive about this. He can join the team after his college season ends at Denver. So Ian Mitchell could truly sign right away and come and play for the Blackhawks this year. His playoff eligibility would be a question based on when his season ends. There's a lot of technicalities there, and the Hawks might choose not to burn that contract, but trust me, Ian Mitchell is definitely in their long-term plans, and I do think for sure he will sign here and be part of things for years to come. As for Dennis Gilbert, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be in their plans, maybe not in the top six, at least not for the next year or two, but I've seen enough from Dennis Gilbert early on to tell me that he's an NHL-caliber defenseman, a five or a six, when he fully develops, and you can never have too many big physical defensemen. So uh, they signed Alec Regula, who they traded um, Brendan Perlini for. They signed him today. They've got Velasic on the horizon. They've got a lot of big defensemen in the system ready to come up. So you can never have too many of those. So uh, the defensive core all of a sudden is looking a little stronger than it had even a couple months ago. All right. Thank you for the great Talk Back Tuesday questions. Really appreciated it. Really appreciate all the positive feedback. Some of you just emailed to compliment the show, which is great. I really appreciate that. It keeps me going. Um, so thank you all so much for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network your team every day. We will talk to you on Tuesday, but until then, this is Jay Zawoski thanking you for listening. Tell a friend about Locked on Blackhawks. Blackhawks.